1: Thank you for joining us today and for following Working Like Dogs on Instagram, Facebook and Twitter. We're your hosts. My name is Marcy Davis and my co-host is my amazing service dog, Lovey, and we're thrilled to be with you today to talk about our favorite subject, Working Dogs and Working Animals. And today, we're going to be visiting with Jennifer Arnold, the New York Times bestselling author of Through a Dog's Eyes and founder and executive director of Canine Assistance. And today, Jennifer's going to be talking with us about her new book, Love is All You Need, the revolutionary bond-based approach to educating your dog. So come right back after these quick messages as we welcome Jennifer Arnold to the show
0: sit stay we'll be right back after a short pause well four to be exact
1: Welcome back to Working Like Dogs on Pet Life Radio. We're so excited to have Jennifer Arnold with us today. Hello Jennifer and welcome. Hi, thank you for having me. Yeah, well we're so glad you could come back. We always love it when you're on the show to talk about what new and an innovative work that you're up to and we're so thrilled that that you're going to talk to us today about your wonderful new book Love is All You Need. Well, I'm excited to have the opportunity Well, before we jump in and start talking about your new awesome book, I was hoping you could give our listeners a little update about Canine Assistance since the last time you were with us. And also, Jennifer, just give them a little bit of background information about you and your amazing program.
0: Sure. Well, we started in 1991. Canine Assistance is a service dog school. And we now say that we work at educating people and dogs so that they may enhance and improve the lives of one another. We work a lot with people who have difficulty with mobility as well as medical needs like type 1 diabetes and epilepsy. And we this all started because when I was 16, I was diagnosed as having multiple sclerosis. And I used a wheelchair for about two and a half years. And when I first went into my chair, they thought I would need it um, for the rest of my life. And I didn't do a very good job of handling that. I kind of fell apart. And my dad had just heard about a woman in California uh, who is Bonnie Bergen, though I didn't know that at the time. And he reached out to her. He he read something about her working with people in wheelchairs in 1980. She had just sort of started and unfortunately, she couldn't send a dog as far away as Georgia. So, my dad's wonderful idea to help me sort of figure out how to, you know, to live when you didn't walk around and get back in there and sort of fighting was if I needed a dog in the southeastern U.S., other people would too. So, maybe we could do this. And, um, dad met with a CPA the Friday after Thanksgiving in 1980. And very much with my blessing, they named the program Canine Assistance. And they started the paperwork. And two weeks later, he was walking home from my grandmother's house. He was walking on a sidewalk that goes around a big park, Chastain Park in Atlanta. And a drunk driver on a motorcycle jumped up on the sidewalk and hit him. And Daddy lived overnight, the barely, um, at the hospital where he worked. But he died early uh, the next morning, makes me teary all these years later talking about it. And it took mom and I 11 years. Uh, We had some serious financial problems, like insurance that didn't pay off because there was an exclusionary clause against death by two-wheeled vehicle of all the bizarre things. But we did it in 1991, and and it was very much a lifeline for me. And, And I will tell you that as the years went on, I started, I've always, I say I've always loved dogs until I began really working with them. I had no idea how truly extraordinary they are. Some years ago, I went to our board and said, I owe dogs and I would like to ask you if you would support me in an effort to do everything in my power to pay them back for the amazing things I've seen them do for people. And I'm very lucky. They are an incredible board, and they have been supportive, and that's where we are
1: today. Oh, thank you so much for sharing that, Jennifer. I love your story. It's just so beautiful of of what you've done, and I'm so, so sorry that you lost such a wonderful father, but I am so thankful that you and your mom moved forward, and look what you have done, girl. It is amazing.
0: (laughs) Thank you. We've got a lot left to do. As you know, it, yep. our industry isn't always so nice, and we can do better. And I think we should, and I, I've always felt like working dogs and their human partners should absolutely set the standard for companion dogs. And I really want to see us be shining examples. And I, I think we maybe have a little bit of a way to go. So let's. Well, that's, we need yeah. to keep moving in that direction.
1: Well, and that, that leads right into my first question for you, and, and one of the many things that we love about you, Jennifer, is how you challenge the status quo, and, but tell us why you think it is so important to change the paradigm of how dogs are trained to be assistance dogs.
0: Okay, first of all, assistance dogs are asked to do some pretty amazing things, uh, and they do it very willingly and i think that in the vast majority of cases they enjoy it very much it's a great life when you get to spend all your time with the person that you love most yep but i think i think there is a moral imperative in there in that dogs are pretty easy to scare and take advantage of and i think when when we're asking animals to help improve our lives we must be careful to not do so while making their lives untenable. And I think sometimes that maybe happens by accident. And I just know now that, that that never has to be the case. Dogs don't have to learn to retrieve by having their ear pinched until they scream. They don't have to be bribed or, or forced into doing things for human beings. They're designed to be our social partners. That's what makes them so great. And I realized that even in my first two books, we've changed so much since then in that people get mad at me for this. And so I'm going to be really careful about it because I always say I live in an incredibly glass house. We have done, I mean, we start, the woman that originated our training here, like to use the shock collar to teach the retrieve. Oh, goodness. I didn't know any better. I mean, yeah. it didn't last very long, but, but I didn't know any better. My house is very glass. And so I don't want people to think I'm being critical. But when we went to to all positive reinforcement, and I couldn't figure out why programs kept telling me that that didn't work for them. And what I saw was our dogs, as we got heavier and heavier and heavier into very sort of strict positive reinforcement, our dogs got really anxious. And I realized that positive reinforcement is, to a large extent, conditional affection. If I love you when you... Mm -hmm. And I'm going to take care of you if you. Mm -hmm. And I I just don't think our dogs, I think what we need to do is say, first and foremost, we love you. We're always going to look after you. There's nothing you can do that will make us leave you, abandon you, hurt you. We're always going to keep you safe. And then ask dogs to help us.
1: Does that oh make Jennifer, sense? that's so beautiful. I have to tell you, Lovey started wagging her tail when you said that. <laughs> she was laughing, oh, baby. <laughs> she did. <laughs> oh Jennifer, I, you know, that's, I just, that's so it. They're capable
0: of more than
1: just conditioning. Yes, yes. No, I couldn't agree with you more. I mean, and I, and I agree with you. I mean, I started out in 1993 was when I was placed with my first dog. And it was a totally different experience than the experience I just had last year when Lovey and I were placed together. It was extremely different. And I, I just am so glad that you're putting this in writing to talk about it. And I'm also so thrilled that you had science behind your work. So tell us a little bit about that and the family dog project.
0: Well, you know, the science, and and I love Revere Adam McLosey, who is the uh, now director of the family dog project in Hungary, Budapest. But there are other, there are other, you know, cognition centers also, including here in Atlanta at Emory University, where they're doing a lot of work with um, functional MRIs on dogs. And Dr. Greg Burns, finding out extraordinary things about dogs. The bottom line is, and really research into dogs, you know, is fairly new. I mean, within the last 20 years, uh, that scientists decided that domestic dog was an okay subject for scientific study. Uh, Prior to that, they had been considered an impure species, tainted by human involvement. And when the Family Dog Project started in Budapest, as a matter of fact, there were two young PhD candidates whose advisor came in, a brilliant man, and he he came in one day and he said to these two young men, we're not going to study fish anymore. Fish, apparently, are very pure. Um, And we're going to study dogs. The guys thought that he was joking. And then they thought maybe he had a little stroke because they were really. (laughs) yeah you know, that just wasn't done, yeah, and this was uh, as Alex the parrot was starting to tell us that you know parrots have thoughts and feelings, and so we're we're very lucky that they stuck it out. And the bottom line in the vast majority of research that has been produced from all these cognition centers is it was sort of has one theme running through all of it, and that is dogs are social animals, and they mm-hmm. allow human beings to become their social partners. Yeah. And that changes everything.
1: Yes it does. Yep. Yes it does. And I, I just love how you write it so simply, just like that. It's very simple. You know, but yet it's so hard for so many people to get their head around. But really, I couldn't agree more with you. I mean, living with... Well, you know what?
0: A- people don't want... People don't trust that dogs will do
1: the right thing. If- I know. And they always do. It's like, or well, at least in my life, you know, I mean, it's... Because when you have to depend on a dog... Right, no, they try dog- so hard. Yeah. And I guess it's when, when you don't really have to depend on a dog. Maybe that's one of their issues, why they can't get that. But, I mean, I have to depend on Lovey for my safety and... As you know well you know, you know? I, I probably see it
0: the other way around more ease i mean i see people who do depend on their dogs seem to get it more quickly in some ways it, but you know it came assistance we used to tell people and this breaks my heart we but we were doing the best we could so i'm not going to be mad at us but we used to have to tell people that it'd be a long time maybe a year to a year and a half before they were really in sync with their dogs Mm -hmm. And I finally realized a few years ago that what that was, was it was a year to a year and a half before people forgot the advice we had given them
1: and just (laughs) got out of
0: the dog's way. Yeah. Does that make sense? I mean. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And myself included. They want to do the right thing. Yes. Yeah. Yes. They
0: they really want to do the right thing.
1: Yeah. But trusting that is really scary. Yeah. For a lot of people. Well, And, and, and. and we have found that when dogs feel secure,
0: one of the most remarkable things about all of this was I started sort of this journey to figure out what, okay, if not positive reinforcement, which was the good way in my mind, then what? You know, I certainly didn't want to go to positive punishment. So where did we go? And, and as I started researching social learning and, and how we could do things in ways that made the dogs feel more comfortable and secure with us rather than the opposite, you know, increasing insecurity. I realized that, and that was my goal to help them feel less anxious. Mm -hmm. They were counting, they were reading, they were reading words, they're counting objects. They're the most extraordinary things you've ever seen. You know, they're fast mapping by reasoning through exclusion. It's, it's stunning. And it turns out, I think that when dogs aren't frightened, They're pretty bright.
1: Mm -hmm. Wow. Wow. That is revolutionary. I mean, that...
0: Oh, that wasn't something (laughs) that I had no idea. And so that helped people. When people see that their dog, for example, with type 1 diabetes, we can say to a dog, is my blood sugar out of range? Yes or no. Hold out the left hand with yes, the right hand with no. And the dog will paw or nose the appropriate hand. And if the answer is yes, you can then say, is it high or low? Wow. and they'll tell you. Wow. And once you see a few things like that, you start trusting them. Yeah. And you look at it <laughs> in a different way.
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, and how did and you, you start How did that change your training of how you were working with your your human partners? I was your- so scared. I was so scared <laughs> to to
0: bring this here. And I'll tell you what happened was um Victoria Stilwell, who is a board member here, had a group of her positively dog trainers, pet dog trainers that wanted to come and do a Teach the teacher seminar that that we do here. And in the first group that came from Figgy's group, I said, I'm going to tell you everything we're doing now and what I think we should be doing, but I'm not brave enough. And they all listened, but two in particular really paid attention. And they went home, and 93 days later, my phone rang, and it was a trainer named Judy Luther out of St. Louis who said, we're coming back to see you. And I was like, now? Nah? Now? Nah? What?
1: <laughs> a stalker? <laughs> I mean,
0: I don't I barely remember. Who you, well, anyway, they did. They showed up the next day. And they came in and Judy Luther looked me in the face and said, if you do not go all in with this, you're a coward. So I said, okay. She had done it. She and um, a wonderful woman from Louisville named Allison Woosley had taken this back to all their pet dog clients and had had stunning results. So,
1: Okay, hold this thought. We're going to take a quick break. And here's some important messages from our sponsors. And we're going to come right back. Hold that thought, Jennifer. And we'll be right back. I got it.
0: We'll be right back right after these messages. Stay tuned. is a
1: 105 lean pounds of happy dog for life because she gets fed Dynavite and Lico chops Order a 90-day supply of Dynavite for your dog this week. We'll send you a bottle of Liquor chops free. New, improved Liquor chops with omega-6, omega-3, vitamin E. And now six extra direct-fed microbials. Even better for the digestive tract and immune system. Try Liquor chops Free this week at Dynavite.com. Oh, oh,
0: D-I-N-O-V-I-T-E dot oh.
1: Welcome back to Working Like Dogs on Pet Life Radio, and we are talking with best-selling author and director of Canine Assistance, Jennifer Arnold. And okay, Jennifer, we told you to hold that thought before the break, so I hope you I held you. it. Okay, awesome. I did.
0: <laughs> okay, so so when I was called out by this trainer, Judy Luther, and who said, you know, you really need to embrace everything that we had gone over which i had named but the bond based approach it with your assistance dogs I, w- I went back to our board and said yeah i really want to try this and they were they were supportive and one of the first things we did was we eliminated command cues which was a little scary for everybody the reason that we did and and we do the dogs learned vocabulary words but what i what i wanted to do was shift the overall approach From training the dog to respond when given a cue to teaching the dog to figure out the appropriate action on his or her own. And yes, there are environmental cues, Except, I mean, you know, they're always sort of prompts. But my thought was if we can quit directly telling the dog what to do. It will increase confidence and relationship and and allow the dog to function more fully. Because when we taught a dog 89 to 91 behaviors on cue, they were fabulous with 89 or 91 behaviors on cue. But for example, if the pen rolled under the couch, there really wasn't a cue for, okay, you need to figure out how to get that out from under the couch. Right. Right. You know, there was just a look, yeah. get it, hold it, you know, give. And so we were working with dogs who who had started in the positive reinforcement, specifically clicker, with clicker training. Mm-hmm. But I thought perhaps if we taught our client the bond-based approach, that we would see how that would go. And, and it really was amazing because the dogs... The dogs weren't so worried anymore. And so, like, we used to have a horrible time with diarrhea during our client Mm -hmm. training camps. The dogs would just kind of fall apart. So that stopped happening. The dogs that would, you know, for the first couple of days, the dogs were a little, used to be a little hard for the people to handle. Um, They would, you know, maybe put their feet on the table or do things like that. They were just asleep. And I realized that so much of those things that, that we all see as misbehaviors really were just driven by anxiety. Yeah, and stress. And Yeah. Right. Do you know that in 2014, this just blows my mind, in 2014 in the United States alone, people spent a billion dollars, one billion with a B, in an effort to reduce anxiety and stress in pet dogs. Wow. Something isn't right. Wow. And I've come to believe that what isn't right is our directing our dogs to be obedient. I think we need to stop telling them what to do and start teaching them what is appropriate and then letting them do the right thing on their own because they do. Mm -hmm. And I can give you a great quick example if you'd like it. Please. So we used to use the cue, leave it. When we wanted a dog not to interact with an object or an individual, you know, there's a something icky on the ground. We would say, "Leave it," and the dog mm-hmm. was not to make eye contact. I use it
1: every day. Mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> yeah. Right. Okay. So now, instead of doing "leave it," we start when they're very young and we teach them "ick," and we teach them it <laughs> with a face like you smell sour milk. Uh huh. A face showing disgust because dogs. Studies have shown that dogs can recognize these universal mammalian emotions when they're displayed on our face, particularly joy and disgust. Mm -hmm. So rather than demanding that they leave it alone, we give them social information that indicates it might be a good idea for you not to mess with that. And very quickly, we're able to go from making that dramatic face to just saying, mm." and the dogs are like, oh, okay, I I won't do it. Rather than telling, which I had always, all my life in dogs, I heard, you tell dogs what to do. You don't ask. Right. I now say, malarkey, just ask. Yeah. Just say, will you you help me? And half the time, you know, I see dogs do things that I know they don't know the vocabulary really involved, but the dog can Mm -hmm. figure it out. When they feel brave. And and so one of the things that I'm the most excited about is we designed this leash, not only for our dogs, but, okay, so sometimes we would see dogs, especially dogs that are attached to wheelchairs, become reactive toward other dogs. And I think that a lot of that was that feeling of restraint, which is scary because it sort of, you know, it it starts that fight or flight and you know you can't flee. And so the best you can do is say, don't bother us, stay away from us, we're vulnerable. Um, Mm -hmm. So I wanted to figure out how we could help dogs not feel vulnerable on leash. So I designed this leash called the We Leash, W-E, because it's not you versus me. It's we. We do it together. So you have a handle and the dog has a handle. And there's a, so it's shaped like a Y with your handle being the, the long end. And then there's a branch that connects to the dog's harness or collar. And a branch that has a handle with crinkly material or a toy or a binky. There are many different things that you can attach. And the dog can hold his own end of the leash. And because of the way it's designed, there's never any pressure at all on the dog so they don't feel restrained. And... You know, they can certainly put the whatever they're holding down if they need to tug the door open or pick something up for their person. But when they, you know, move through life, they can do so feeling like they have some control. And so we just release it for pet dogs and we need people to it's called We for Dogs. It's the website that sells it. And I'm begging people to check it out because it it has been amazing for our dogs.
1: Well that's what I was gonna say. Can anybody get the leash? So it is available. Absolutely.
0: It's wow. a, um we just finished a Kickstarter campaign that did really well. But it was so and now we have it their website, the company um that we started is called We For Dogs. And so people can get it on the website, we dot com. Excellent. Well we'll and make a, that a we'll percentage have that on of our... the that. Um it benefits canine assistance too. So of course it does. that's correct. As does the book. <laughs> Yes, and the book works for pets every bit as well. I promise. One of the things that we do now is we advocate sharing food, human food, in that's safe for dogs and palatable for people. In minuscule amounts, it's a great bonding tool.
1: Well, I so say, everything so you,
0: we thought we knew,
1: yeah. About. Well, and and I was wondering about that, about if you could tell us about some of the the bonding things that you recommend for your clients in order to help them build a strong bond with their new canine partner.
0: Well, we know that eye contact is really important. So one of the things that we we advocate is obviously uh, lots of face-to-face time. Mm -hmm. either, you know, with the dog in the bed or the dog in your lap or because we know that oxytocin is released both in human, male and female, and dog bonding one to the other when you have that face-to-face, that eye contact. We also, we call it two hands all in when, for example, we would take a dog to a restaurant, a our clients would take their dog to a restaurant. The old way was we would have them tell the dog to go in, which meant go under the table. I don't know why mm-hmm. they had to go under the table and lie down. I'm not sure why they had to lie down either, frankly. But So they have to be out of the way, so they're not in anybody's way. But now, instead of doing the go in, we ask the person to have the dog by them and go two hands all in. And if you can't touch the dog with two hands, it really means just give the dog your focus. Completely Mm -hmm. for a few minutes, just coo for a few minutes until your dog relaxes enough to lie down on his own. When I fly with dogs now, uh, the dog in the cabin with me, I'll say, you know, instead of down, stay, I'll say on flight, and they just relax. It's just so,
1: it's a (laughs) no-brainer. Yeah, I I know. I love it. I love it. And and it works. Yeah. So yeah. much better than all
0: that telling them what to do all the time and all that. I recently, well, now it's been several months, but I took a dog for an organization that I love who does clicker training. I was flying from Atlanta to Seattle and they asked if I would deliver this dog to Seattle. And I said, absolutely, I'd be happy to let him fly with me. And he was lovely going through the Atlanta airport. And we get on the plane and I say, okay, sweetie, it's going to be a long flight. And he looks at me, eyes like saucers. And I thought, oh, crud. What do I do? <laughs> I can't remember. I can't remember. And I thought, oh, wait, wait. I have to tell him what he should do. So five and a half hours, I had to reiterate, you know, down stay because he'd gotten pretty dependent on being told what to do. Mm-hmm. And I think that may be making him kind of not very brave. Yeah. And it sure was. It sure is a lot easier just to be able to say, okay, I'm chilling, you chill. Yep. And they're, you know, they're because of their social nature. They want to please the other members of their social group. That is an incredibly powerful motivator for dogs. Mm-hmm. All social yes. animals. It is for us too. We want people to yeah. like us, and and we don't want to get in trouble. And dogs are so much that way. And um, I think we've just made it a lot harder for dogs, and a lot harder for ourselves than it needed to be. Well, and, so and I have it.
1: to, I have to ask you too, Jennifer. So now with this new training modality, cause it's, it's a philosophy. I loved that in the book, but it's not a methodology. It's a philosophy. And I was just wondering, does it take you longer to get a dog ready for placement or is it less time? How's that No, working? I would say
0: that it is significant I mean it you know, basically we can't cut a lot of time off just because we wait for them to get a little bit when mm-hmm. them around at least eighteen months. Right. But they would be ready in terms of knowing how to help people and having the confidence and in, in the demeanor to do so, it would be much faster. We teach everything all of the things that took us weeks. I mean weeks, like the light switch and retrieving and We now teach using a sort of crass form of imitation that we named like me. So we demonstrate the action and then we ask the dog, can you do like me? Mm
1: -hmm. And it's,
0: you know, Mm. dogs who understand the concept of imitating your actions, as long as they can physically and emotionally do it, do it immediately. Yeah, Holy there's a few smokes. weeks. Yeah, you know? I mean, that's
1: yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's huge.
0: And people well, can go home and have somebody demonstrate. You know, because yeah, one of the problems is we didn't have people's doorknobs, light switches. Right, right. It makes it so much easier when the dogs go home. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's not easy sometimes for people to let go of the idea of directing the dog's obedience, mm-hmm. and I think. Society judges dogs still, you know, a good dog is a dog that sits on command.
1: That's right. That um, is that is right? I heard, want people right? to understand I mean, that, is yeah.
0: A, yeah, but a really great dog is a dog who sits when it's appropriate, you know, without yeah. being told. And when you think about heroic dogs, what dog has ever been heroic that was at the same time being obedient?
1: Mm-hmm. You're right. Think about it. It's they the dog that wants shut up
0: because the house is yeah. on fire. Right. 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 And I think we're making a grave error when we take that initiative away from our dogs, especially our working dogs. Mm-hmm. I, I think we tend to make them afraid to do that, and, and I don't ever want them to be afraid to do it.
1: Oh, and Jim. you know
0: what? I think emotional fear can be even worse than physical fear.
1: Yeah, I agree. I agree. And, you know, I I have to say that for Lovey, she is so confident and so calm in who she is. And it's so many of the things that you've been describing with her and that I have surrendered my own training that how I was conditioned. I was in a meeting earlier today and she didn't want to lay down. And you know what? I did not make her, you know, but I've been trained that she needs to lay down. But I thought, you know what? My girl knows there's something she needs to keep an eye on or there's something. And so I, I let her and then she did lay down you know, after, after right. a while. And when we and were that... leaving, when we were leaving, I then discovered that there was another dog out there. There were a whole bunch of dog toys. There was a lot of things going on that I wasn't even aware of that she definitely, you know, was very appropriate in her behavior. But yet I surrendered what I instinctually wanted to do of make her behave. Uh, and what I thought was behaving. Yeah. But that's so hard. I am starting to get that and how powerful And like you said, how much it empowers her and empowers me. I mean, it is
0: such a gift to our dogs if we can just help society recognize that. But you know what, Marcy, I think the industry did that. We did this to ourselves. I mean,
1: oh yeah,
0: yeah. We were the ones who decided that dogs had to lie down. I don't think right. anybody in a restaurant, as long as the dog is standing quietly or you know sitting right. quietly, I don't think it is necessarily the public. I, I do think it is what is, and you know the way they're for the most part they're still tested the public access test. Yes. I was just thinking it, that which is yep. well, we are among. Everything else that we're doing, we have recently incorporated what we hope will become a, a collaborative of like minded working dog schools called the Assistance Dog Alliance. And our public access test is different. We want to see within a certain amount of time that the dog feels comfortable and confident enough to, you know, relax on his own or her own. Because that's to me what makes a dog really safe. I can't quite reconcile having a dog that follows my directives with being safe necessarily in public. Because the dog could be incredibly nervous and still respond to my cues. Mm -hmm. That doesn't mean if a child runs up to the dog, the dog won't react. Right. Does that make sense? Yeah. I think a relaxed Mm -hmm. dog is a safe dog.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. A relaxed and confident dog. Yeah.
0: Right. And, you know, we need some, I think we need regulation. We're desperate for it. But, oh, I'm so afraid that the regulation will go in a way that's not very good right. for our dogs. And honestly, I, you know, what isn't good for our dogs isn't good for
1: us. I agree. Uh, it just yeah. demeans us all. Well, I think you have written a groundbreaking piece of work here I mean you really have it's a fabulous resource for anyone who's interested in understanding more about assistance dogs but it's also for anyone who has or wants a relationship with a dog I mean it it really is Jennifer you really have something groundbreaking here and and I I just hope that everyone gets to read as many people who's read through a dog's eyes gets to read Love is All You Need because it really is powerful stuff
0: Uh bless you thank you so much for <laughs> understanding it and for those kind kind words
1: well you really have taught us that love really is all that we need jennifer it really really, it really is, is. Yeah. Well, please promise you'll come back because we could visit with you all day. But we know you're well, you busy. Know we know I will. We, yeah. And we want you to get back and, and keep working and educating people and, and sharing this beautiful, beautiful way of communicating and, and working in partnership with these amazing dogs that do so much for us. So thank you. Thank you. Well, thank you. Well, you Jennifer. kiss your
0: girl for me, too? Kay?
1: I will. Okay. <laughs> take, take care. Oh, you too. And thank you, our listeners, for being with us. We love to hear from you. So please keep those emails coming and please follow us now on Instagram. We're really excited to be posting and I love you post a couple of times a day. So please check us out on Instagram at Working Like Dogs, and also you can find us at WorkingLikeDogs.com and you can email me at Marcy M-A-R-C-I-E at PetLifeRadio.com So thanks so much for being with us and we look forward to being with you again soon take good care
0: let's talk pets every week on demand only on petliferadio.com